0: Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom.
1: Hey, this is Ben. Tom, how you doing, man?
0: I am doing swell, and that's how I'm going to just leave it there. think that- you,
1: lying, because I know that it's Tuesday, which is your Monday, and it's not swell. Don't lie to me, sir.
0: So it's one of those days... I love my job and I'm just trying to remind myself of it today. So there you go. That's, but everybody has those days, right? So that's not unusual.
1: Well, for me, you know, I've been doing some painting at the local children's museum, volunteering doing some, some things there and uh, had my day at the office. Everything was great. You know, typical stuff here, you, So
0: Well, of course, I mean, you don't have enough to do. So you had to find volunteering to help paint a children's museum to fit in there. So.
1: You know that I try to get back to the community and so it's just I do know. Yeah. So. yeah. But anyway.
0: But it's a great thing. I'm I'm happy for you. I, unlike you, am the Grinch. I like to stay at home with my dog and sneer at people from a distance. So that's what I do. So I am super excited tonight. We
2: have a special guest. John, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh my name's John Canyon. I'm a Uh, FNP out of Texas, I uh, uh, have a little bit of a history, I've been an NP since 2005 I've worked, you know, pretty much everything as an NP, I've done critical access, I've done family practice, urgent care Um, ER is kind of my home so uh, that's where I, I started when I got out and I've been doing that mainly for the last I don't know how long I've been doing this 15 years, I do a lot of locums work, I like doing locums work, it's fun Know, get you out and get you to work in a different places and see how the cast skin a little bit different elsewhere you know so it's kind of a fun thing and it lets you take back different uh, ideas to your main shop and see how that goes so yeah I, I, I help people with contract reviews and I I kind of focus a little bit on NP education and I'm in a few a few groups that do that and I got a little bit of some a couple videos I put out online on on stuff, trying to help out NPs and how they do things, but that's pretty much me in a nutshell.
1: And you uh, throw some X-rays up in some of those groups, also. <laughs> right?
2: Yeah, I do that occasionally too. I do a little uh, little X-ray uh, interpretation fun for you know, kind of just kind of fun stuff to to see, let people uh, test their their interpretation skills.
1: And what mine usually resolves around like. No, nope, that, that chest doesn't look broken. Nope. I think it's good. So. Anyway,
2: <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, <laughs> there's some of those I put up there that, that the radiologist missed too. So don't feel bad. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. yeah I, great.
0: uh, I had tend to be with Ben in this camp, like, Hmm, I know the bone's supposed to be straight and it's crooked right <laughs> there. So I'm going with that's broke. So that's about, <laughs> that's about the, uh, that's about the super extent of my NP radiology, um, education at the moment it's one of those things i want to brush up but in family practice it's not something i have enough occasion where it becomes a necessary tool or i should say a daily tool i have to use so maybe that's why it fell to the back burner
2: well yeah i uh i kind of have a different view on that from my perspective you know from so much er training i spend i look at every single film that i've that i order every single one every single MR, every single CT, every single x-ray, even when I was in family practice, because, you know, at the end of the day, nobody's perfect, and I've seen the patient. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I kind of that's kind of my, my way of looking at it. I kind of just go, oh, i got to look at that and see, and, you know, it makes me feel better that, that I've actually set eyes on it too. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: that's a, that... that makes sense. When I did my DNP residency, I, did, I chose to go with radiology because I knew that was something that I was weak in. I, I always had likened it to, if you remember back in like the 90s, those pictures in the mall where you stared at it long enough and the picture come out at you. That's kind of how it was with radiology. Whenever I sit down with the radiologist and he tried to like, show me CAT scans, and he's like, well, here's what they're this. And then there's like, oh, wow, I see it now. And now that you see it, you can't unsee it. I do try to look at it as many films as I order. It's like, you know, you'll finally figure out, you know, if you look at a thousand normal ears, you'll see that one that's not normal. And realize it so
2: and sometimes it's not so much recognizing what the problem is it's recognizing that something's not right there
1: well
0: i've learned everything i'm going to learn for tonight so <laughs> <over.
1: laughs>
2: <laughs> i right, want to post some pictures we can go through some x-rays i got i got a little bit of time you know <laughs>
0: i got time now no. So, Ben, do you, let's get this party started so we can get into the main topics here. You want to do your uh, favorite part of the show?
1: Sure. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, all at Just Some Podcast. You can find us on the web We're at www.justsomepodcast.com. Our email, admin at com. Don't forget to check out a merchandise store. Words are hard. COVID 19 gear. That's all going to be found at www.justsomepodcast.com. shop. Tom? What can they do to help us out, man?
0: They can help us by going to our website. They can scroll down to just about the bottom of the page. They'll see an Amazon affiliate link. Click on that before you do any of your browsing or putting anything in your cart. And then when you shop, you help out the show. It costs you nothing. You won't even know we were there, but we truly would appreciate it. Mr. John, do you have any social media you want to shout out?
2: Oh, sure, man. I've got a, I actually do a YouTube channel too. Uh, N P. Um, I do, a, I've got an email for that. N P at Yahoo. Um, you guys, I, I put out a couple videos every, every couple weeks just to try and help NPs answer questions in the best way that I know how to try and uh, get people help with whatever kind of problem they're having in, in our profession.
1: Awesome. We'll make sure we get some links to that in the show notes below so that everybody can check out JC DNP Tom.
0: Ben. Man, I feel like
1: we're, we're rushing things, but it's because I know we want to get into everything else, but are you ready for your stories you may have missed Tom?
0: I wasn't trying to rush it. I was just excited for us to do some talking. So, and I noticed the last couple of weeks I have jumped the gun on talking to the guests. So I thought, let's get this out of the way. Let's it's like homework, you know, got to rip that band-aid off and get it done. Now we can move forward. So yes, I am ready for the
1: story, Ben. All right, Tom. Generally, I usually go, you know, with like a, a journal article or something. And I went news article this time. The CEO of Bristol Regional Medical Center just ringing a bell at all to you, Tom?
0: Um, I can't say it is. No, keep going.
1: Okay, Greg Neal stepped out as the CEO of a hospital, which is Bristol Regional Medical Center, on August twentieth, and subsequently told the Bristol Herald Courier that he was asked to resign after participating in a surgical procedure without a medical license.
0: I did, I did hear about this. I did not know it was Bristol or like that, but Yes, yes,
1: I
2: think uh,
0: uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm assuming John hasn't heard about it. Because, <laughs> no, I
2: did. I did uh, hear about it. I just think about that and I go, "How do you think
0: that's okay? Yeah, yeah. like at what point did?" Mm-mm. Yeah, keep going there uh, Ben. I just wow. So
1: initially in the article just said that he was asked to resign and that the uh physician was asked to re- or the surgeon was asked to resign as well. But this mm-hmm. article actually took it a step further. Um on August 24th, a Ballard Health spokesperson confirmed to the courier that Nathan Smith MD was a surgeon who invited the CEO to enter the operating room and observe the surgery and ask him to make the initial per- incision for the procedure.
0: Oh.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, no, no. Yeah. Not that that's yeah. important or anything. So,
1: <laughs> the CEO did admit his role in the incident in an email to the courier saying he regretted making the incision and accepted accountability. He wanted to apologize to the patient and family, apologize to the team members of Ballard Health, and to the leadership of Ballard Health. After running of the incident, Ballard officials lost an investigation, which concluded with asking Mr. Neal to resign and terminating Dr. Smith's employment, according to the report. So, Tom. If you're not trained, someone asks you to do it to start your initial incision, say no.
0: Well, okay, so a couple other questions. Did it ever specify what surgery it was?
1: I don't think it ever actually did. It specifies that he was a cardiothoracic surgeon. But oh,
0: wow. Cardiothoracic. So surely it was like an appendectomy. Something, yeah. You know, he, <laughs> he, was, he was removing a lipoma, right? I mean, obviously it was a, something simple. If A cardiothoracic surgeon was in there doing it, right?
1: Yeah, we'll just leave it at that, man. I don't know.
0: I guess it could have been worse. You could have asked him to operate the bone saw or something <laughs> like on the guy's sternum. I don't know. <laughs> I would, yeah. I mean, yeah good <laughs> lord. I guess. No big deal. Just push down. Oops, too hard. Yeah, yeah, oops. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing bad can <laughs> God, happen. Man, i can back and fix that. Yeah. Yeah. I can fix. <laughs> I'm just imagining like a mechanic in overalls standing over with this guy's heart. Like, yeah, I can fix this. I got it. I got. It. <laughs> I, I, got I got a spare one of those laying around. I got. <laughs> <laughs> put on a little
1: so many things it's like how did you get into that position
0: i can understand watching the surgery i can i I can understand that that. okay well
2: yes i mean the the guy's not a medical person and he goes if the surgeon goes here why don't you try this and he goes well okay you know i mean he probably didn't freaking know any better but the surgeon should have the the, anesthesiologist should have the circulating nurse should have you know there's a whole bunch of should haves there but you know I mean, it's easy to play backseat quarterback, you know,
0: it, oh, yeah. it is. But I mean, there's I think there's something inherent of a possible open heart surgery <laughs> of going. I probably shouldn't touch this, dude. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I really do see your point. I could understand the CEO being like, oh, I'm super excited. Like, this is cool. And I'm just making a little incision. You know, what could that yeah, hurt? So All right. Yeah, so I can see the fault in both sides. I can see how did you allow yourself to get in that position, but I can also see the CEO at least going, it's not that big a deal, or he wouldn't let me do it. That's right. uh, I get that. But I I guess ultimately, Ben, I want to know, was the surgery successful?
1: The article doesn't specify, although I'm assuming probably, I believe uh, other articles that I've read about it, there was a whistleblower that, that was involved in the case that reported it. So I mean, it doesn't sound like anything uh, bad happened, quote unquote.
0: Well, but then, then but I, still, I I go back to then. What's the problem? There you go. Well, I the I'm joking. Uh, joking. Both of you are like, well, I'm like, no I'm kidding.
2: Yes. <laughs> and, you know, the first thing I think of is a reimbursement standpoint. You know, that you can't you you can't get reimbursed for a surgery where the physician doesn't make the initial incision. So even if you have a assistant there with you uh whether it be in an in, in np a pa or an rnfa you know whatever the surgeon has to make the initial incision if they don't I, technically I you can't bill for it can't bill for the procedure i
0: did
1: not know that
0: oh my god so i was going to ask so then how does a uh, registered nurse first assist work like they only do like cleanup or what what's
2: well, I mean, a first assist, just like any other first assist, I mean, you're assisting with retracting and holding and clamping okay. and sewing, and you can close and all that kind of stuff. Like, for instance, if you were to do a, a, a knee or a shoulder or whatever, the initial incision is made by the surgeon. If he wanted to guide you the rest of the way, that's okay.
1: As long as the initial incision was made by the yeah. surgeon. That is so
0: weird. weird. That's, Dude, that's that's the key marker, is he cut him? He left the room after that, but he cut him. So, he, so, so wow. I did not – see, look at that. This episode is just chock full of the education.
2: That's, that's all I got. Thanks for the thanks for the show, guys. Yeah. There you go. I'll send you some pictures, John.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I got some x-ray pictures to show you.
2: Oh, that's awesome. I love pictures. I love them with stories, too. Stories
0: are better, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, that—that's a good one. I like that, Ben. Yeah. Uh, what?
2: Would... I
1: thought i would mix it up a little bit, and uh, we'll go a new story this time instead of. Uh...
2: <laughs> that was a. That's an interesting one. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you just. The, the surgeon knows better than that. You gotta know better than that. You know. I mean.
1: Well, and just the the damage to the reputation of the hospital
2: now. Well, because... yeah, sure. Now, <laughs> you yeah. know
1: just... you No, know, it's, it's it's like if you find that out, and you're like, well what other shit are they cutting corners on or what other shit's going on that they're not on the up and up about i mean i it, it's, it's a very slippery slope
2: yeah you know how that happened right the surgeon goes the cv surgeon goes hey why don't you come watch me operate then you'll understand why i need this thirty thousand dollar extra machine yeah. okay you know that's that's i mean i want the da vinci the five million dollar da vinci you know yeah,
0: I need this thirty five thousand dollar headlamp. It's gotta be exactly. left and right bifocal. So I mean I need mean both, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. That's probably how it all started. I that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And also, I just thought about this. I can't believe a CTS would risk not getting reimbursed for an entire surgery because he didn't make the first cut. Like he couldn't have made him like the second cut. Like what's going on here, man? Yeah.
2: I make so much money I don't care, but it's you know, RVU based in which case it doesn't matter whether they actually reimburse for the procedure or not. Gotcha.
0: Oh. yeah. So many things. Oh my gosh.
1: All right. Well, Tom, let's get into our main, uh, main topic. And I, it, with having John on the show, we kind of wanted to just kind of hodgepodge some stuff because as John mentioned earlier, I mean, he's pretty well versed in a lot of stuff and. So we're just gonna kind of just, you know, pick his brain and uh, get some of that knowledge and get some education. Like apparently, the surgeon has to make the first cut in order for it to be reimbursed. We'll see. See. That's a good thing to know.
0: We're learning all sorts of things tonight. Pro- probably not real helpful for family practice, but.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's still good. Yeah. You know?
0: Every time I do an IND now, I'm going to be like, excuse me, I am making the first incision here.
2: Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> you know, yeah, speaking of speaking of INDs, you know how to make sure that you get it uh, get reimbursed at the highest level. I'm, I'm waiting. Make sure you you uh, dissect the loculations and pack the wound. And then it's a complex uh, incision and drainage instead of a simple IND.
0: <laughs> so just me packing it now ups it.
2: Yep, that's complex, a that's complex incision and drainage. So you get a higher reimbursement for that.
0: Wow. See, John, we may not get CEUs out of this episode, but by <laughs> God, people are going to want to listen to this one.
2: You know, I actually had promised on a prior podcast that I was going to do – as the time, I was working on, on doing a uh, – class on contract negotiation but that never happens which is why i'm doing the the videos on youtube i just i've got too much stuff on my plate but yeah it's it's fun when you get into how you get reimbursed it's it gets it gets really interesting well, well, at least for me but i'm kind of weird on that stuff
1: <laughs> i think it's good stuff to know and we're actually in the process of trying to get approved to uh, be a cne offer so you know we may be bringing you back after we get approved and do a full just RVU reimbursement episode, and
2: okay, we can do that. We can do X-rays. I'm down for whatever you guys want to do.
1: We're just gonna be a regular guest, man. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, you know, you're we're mentioning kind of RVUs. So, I mean, what talked about RVUs on our show before, and it was, but I mean, it was probably our oh,
0: like, like third episode.
1: episode. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. been a while. So, for those who don't know, can you kind of explain what RVU is? And and sure,
2: sure. First off, are either of you RVU based in your contracts? I am yes. I have well, RV, so your base salary with RVU bonus structure kind of deal. Yes. Okay, you're yeah. going to love this then. Okay. So essentially an RVU is what's called a relative value unit, right? So essentially what's happened is CMS asks some providers to get together and determine what the value is per per section of time, right? So if you look at that's what they're valuing as a section of time and a 99213 is .97 RVUs, right? Yep. You got that? Okay, so, and essentially what that is, is the average return visit for family practice. And family practice is the most common thing that we deal with, so we try and use that as our baseline, however, if you, if you look at average reimbursement across the country for Medicare, and if you're talking about RVU rates, we always base it off the lowest common denominator, okay? And Medicare is the lowest common denominator. Medicaid doesn't count because it reimburses almost nothing, right? So okay. Medicare is generally the lowest payer. So we use that as our baseline. It's about $55 per RVU, Okay. On average, of course, it varies based off your zip code and based off whether or not you're in a medically underserved area. Medically underserved areas reimburse a lot higher, but average fifty-five.
1: And you can get on like the CMS website and pull up like.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. You can get yeah. all this stuff as publicly available information. So yeah. this is not this is, this is not rocket science, and I'm not keeping some super secret yes, <laughs> database or something, you know, of all of these mm-hmm. numbers now. If if I get a number off a little bit, just bear with me. It's I don't ha- I don't have all this stuff in front of me. I'm trying to do it all from memory. But if you do, mm-hmm. so if if you see, you know, let's see, how many patients a day do you guys average? You think?
1: Uh, I'm probably say 20. Yeah. Okay. We'll go 20. Let's
2: say 20. That's a round number. So 55 times 20 is 1,100 bucks a day. Okay. Times five, 5,500 bucks a week. Times 52 weeks a year is $286,000 a year. Just on average, if you only saw Medicare patients, RVU reimbursement on all nine nine two one threes. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, yeah. that's if you do nothing else, and I mean absolutely nothing else. Right. Right. That's you do. Just yeah. Nothing else. If you just did that. Now, if you if you take into account smoking cessation, right? Smoking cessation is what 0. 0.34 RVUs. Something like that. Yeah. OK, so and if you on average, most people have a third of their a third of their patients uh, smoke. And as nurse practitioners, if we walk in the room and somebody is a smoker, we're going to say, hey, you need to quit smoking. So if you document three to five minutes, document smoking cessation counseling, three to five minutes. And then you document a diagnosis, nicotine abuse. That's another .34 RVUs, And it equates for about a third of your practice to another thirty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay, yeah. Okay. So yep. telling your patients to quit smoking covers your nurse's overhead, essentially.
1: That's interesting. That's, I mean, I like the way you spun that, but yeah, that's...
2: Just telling them to quit smoking. That's all you're doing, right? And it may be 0.24. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'd have to go back through my notes, which it's, uh, it's late here and I don't, I don't have my notes in front of me, but, well, you know, here's or there. here's another thing. Uh, do you guys irrigate ears? Yes. You know what well, the RV I- reimbursement for that is?
1: I used to because I do I do it, but I, my understanding was if the nurse irrigates the ears, it doesn't count. If the provider does and you use a curette, then it's a, a higher RVU rate.
2: Yes, you have to use an instrument. It doesn't matter if you irrigate it. You can irrigate the ear and you get no reimbursement at all. You have to use an instrument in order to get reimbursed for it. Okay. Okay. So if you don't use if you don't document the use of an of, a, of an instrument, it doesn't count. So, even if you have your nurse irrigate the ear primarily, and when the cerumen impaction gets to the the top of the ear canal, she calls you in, you come with the curette, scoop it out, uh, cerumen disimpaction with instrumentation. Okay. Make sense? Well, it's it's the only way you get RVUs for that. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. You give shots, you get RVUs for that. It's minimal, but you get them. Okay. You do IVs, you get RVUs for that. You, if you interpret your own X-rays, you get RVUs for that. Most NPs are not comfortable not having a uh, radiologist overread, and that's fine. So you don't get the technical component. You don't get the technical component RVU for that. If you do sutures, okay? Do you do sutures in the office? Yes, from yeah. time to time. Okay, sure. So you know you get you get RVUs for that. You get RVUs for INDs. We already talked about the INDs. Do you know how to make sure you're getting the maximum reimbursement for your suture repairs? Layered. One subcuticular stitch is a complex suture laceration okay Okay. one so if you put one subcuticular stitch in it becomes a complex laceration increases your RVUs.
1: because you had to close multiple layers Yep. yeah
2: okay now here's the other other thing you need to know you never document 2.5 centimeter wound always 2.4 2.6 the reason being is the 2.5 falls into the 2.4 category Okay, so it's a lower reimbursement rate, because you get reimbursed based on the length of the wound as well.
1: Right, yeah. Which, that so I you know. always
2: go to 2.6, never 2.5. So it's either 2.4 or 2.6. Gotcha. Makes sense? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Easy peasy, right? Do you guys do uh, toenail removers? I do yeah. not. I do. Do you do digital blocks on those toenail removals? Yes, I do. Do you document the digital block as a separate procedure? no i do not it's a separate procedure you can bill Bang. separately for that i mean these are just things that if you don't know you don't know right so i mean it's it's just helpful to know these kinds of things when you document your rvus your what what i like to call maximizing your revenue generation right so instead of just getting that 0.97 for a 99213 you get the for the 99213. We told them to quit smoking and that gives us 1.25 RVUs, right? So that's another quarter of a patient for every patient that we tell to quit smoking.
1: And I know that uh, well child exams, I think they're like 1.4.
2: Sure, sure. Okay, like if you do PFTs in the office for your DOTs, you need to be getting RVUs for that as well.
1: Which, and so we do have some non-medical listeners who listen to the show. So, you know, this isn't like, were like nickel and diming it's just
2: no what you're doing is trying to ensure that you're you're documenting everything appropriately right so right. it's like if you go to the mechanic right which we talked about mechanics So if you go to the mechanic and he gives you new tires he's going to bill you for all four tires he's not going to bill you for two of them and give you four so the yeah. problem with a lot of how Okay, nurse practitioners as a whole are really, really bad at billing. We're just really bad as a profession. Okay, really bad at it. Mm -hmm. So what that does, and this is what's important for the listeners to understand, is what we're doing is trying to maximize what we're generating per chart to make sure we're, one, documenting appropriately, and, two, getting reimbursed appropriately so that way we can keep the doors open and potentially offer other services down the line. Because if you're not, at the end of the day, if we're not making money, we don't have a job which,
1: I mean, right now with COVID and with places being unfurloughed and everything
2: else. Mm, it's and, a big deal, for sure.
1: To get off our views for just a second, because I, I just want to pick you right about this, even though you work ER and it's probably not something you use a whole lot, what are your thoughts on telehealth? And we've done a, a lot of that, obviously, with COVID-19.
2: Uh, I'm not a huge fan of telehealth, and that's because I'm an ER guy, and I see the complications, right? That's, that's why I'm not a huge fan of it. The other part is is the way that I was trained, You got to put your hands on somebody. You know, the physical exam, the history and physical is 85% of your diagnosis. So if I'm seeing somebody for an acute problem, I mean, how, I don't know. I just, From the way that we do, you know, like in the ER, it's a little bit different because when I call, when I have tele-neurology, they have a little robot thing that goes in the room, and they can listen through the robot, and the the robot has a stethoscope, and, you know, the nurse does the physical part for them so they can see the exam. It's a little bit different, but if I'm just sitting on my computer, I mean, I can see where a lot of stuff would probably be pretty easy to do for most of what they do, but I'm just, uh, I, eh, you know. Eh.
1: And one thing with me in, in telehealth, I'm very cautious with how I document a diagnosis because I don't have that hands-on component. So, like, if I see someone and they're saying, hey, my left ear hurts, and I'll say, okay, well, can you feel your lymph nodes? You know, are they swollen? Yeah. So I will just chart it as a diagnosis as left ear pain. I won't chart, like, an acute otitis media, because sure. they can't definitively, "Yeah, it was an otitis media. I can tell them, I can say, you know, I can chart more symptoms as opposed to an, an actual diagnosis because I don't want it to come back and say, well, how do you know that was in, you know, how do you know that was in otitis media?
2: Exactly. It's like when you walk in the room and you see a strep throat and you order a strep screen and you, your strep screen is going to take, you know, an hour to come back. So you just treat the patient. You call it pharyngitis instead of strep pharyngitis. Same thing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly.
1: Tom, you gotta, I don't want to like take it all the…
0: No, I. I irritating. honestly… So… I'm sure John knows because he told us earlier he listens to the show as I'm still a newer NP, So sometimes we're talking about things that I'm like, I have not even considered some of the stuff that we have talked about. So it's just been honestly real interesting listening to two guys with more experience go back and forth. Trust me, when I have a question. That's more right, in detail. Sure. Other than, do you know anybody in the Illuminati? Because I was going to ask that earlier when we were talking about this stuff. <laughs> well, um, I, could, I could tell you the answer to that, but but then I you like have it. to kill Ben. <laughs> okay, thank you. So, there you go. No, you could just put me in the club, you
1: can't kill really Ben. Talk
0: about that, Tom. <laughs> yeah, the first rule of alum of the Illuminati is you don't talk about the Illuminati. That's exactly right. Directly. Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: <laughs> so, and just the research that I've done as far as RVUs there's kind of two main ways that they're paid out. And one is like, so you are paid, say you get a thousand RVUs over a quarter, they subtract your salary from that. And then whatever's left over is a bonus. And then the other way that I have seen it done is say that, so your salary is zero to 2000 RVUs from 2000 to 3000 RVUs. You get one rate and then from 3000 to 5000, you get another rate. Is there any other ways that, RVUs are calculated or I mean
2: oh there's a whole bunch of ways to do it my my actual favorite way to do it is a daily RVU right well it depends on what what depends actually depends on what what area you're working in for urgent care I prefer daily RVUs right so what you do is you calculate your RVUs per day actually you have an RVU goal for the day let's say you're working in an urgent care 12-hour um, shift, and you have 27 RVUs you want to get to for the day, and then anything over that, you get paid X amount per RVU, right? Okay. Okay, so I've done that kind of method, and doing that kind of method, the most I've ever made doing, it's about 166 and change per hour, okay? Damn. <laughs> and, well, I mean, if you if you look at your base rate, whatever it is, you know, 60, 65 an hour was the base rate on that, right? But we got 27 per RVU over 27, And if you know how to ensure that you're capturing your RVUs appropriately, we averaged about 1.85 RVUs per patient in that urgent care. So instead of having to meet 27 patients, which would be a 99213, you know, average one, we'll say one, even though it's 0.97, just for math's sake. So you'd have to meet 27 patients. If you're you're meeting 1.8 RVUs per patient, then you're sitting in the 16 to 18 range before you start making extra money. So if you see 60 patients that day,
1: you're cranking it out,
2: you get a big chunk of change on top of, and then you end up a nice hourly rate that sounds extraordinary when actuality what you're doing, and to me, RVUs is a good, any kind of productivity is the way to go. It doesn't matter if it's RVUs, if it's, you know, percent profit or fee for service or whatever it happens to be, right? What you're trying to do is reward somebody for working hard, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm working hard for you. So give me a little kiss on the cheek, you know, <laughs> make me feel good for working hard for you and I'll work hard. Right. Like in that, in that particular urgent care, we didn't close until the, until the, the, second hit, when the second hit the closing time, that's when we shut the door, everything up to that. We saw, I mean, I don't care if 16 people walked in it and you know, say we closed at eight, fifty nine and 59 seconds, 17 people walk in the door. We're seeing all 17 of them and we're not going home.
1: And I remember you, I listened to you on a podcast from several years ago with, uh, it was Chris Woods, the NP Monish. Oh,
2: yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. And you talked about this though, and it was, some of that is the attitude that you bring to it also, that it, how it affects your staff and that, I mean, it made it like they were energized to try to beat the record or they were energized to try to, they weren't getting pissed off because 16 people walked in at five minutes to close. It was, it was more of an excitement aspect to it.
2: Absolutely, and that's part of, you know, part of how you pick your staff because as you guys are aware or may not be aware, your staff can kill your practice. 100% can kill your practice. Absolutely. Your front office person can kill your practice. Your nurse can kill your practice. So if you and how you respond to stuff often solves problems, and if it doesn't, sometimes you got to terminate people, right? Sometimes you have to culture change in order to get the culture that you – you want, and if I'm RVU-based, man, we're going to see everybody that walks in the door. My nurse is going to know if there's a toenail that comes in that needs to get removed. She's going to know that she needs to get markane, She's needs to get me a 10cc syringe, an 18-gauge needle, a 23, and I'm going to be blocking that and pulling it off. She needs to get the silver nitrate out, the suture tray, all that stuff. She's going to know what I expect for each thing. So when uh, she pulls that patient back, she sees the problem, she sets it up, goes, grabs the next patient. While I'm doing that, she's prepping, prepping the next patient. And we had, we had parties for um, breaking the record. We had parties for doing the most x-rays in a day parties for giving the most shots in a day and we, there was an, another. another had a partner that we were very highly competitive with and we'd stick post-it notes all over their desk covered their entire office and post-it notes with the number of patients you know they got that many balloons and stuck them in their office and all that stuff so it's uh makes a difference and then you reward your staff as always
1: yeah i personally which i mean i've been a practitioner for like seven years now and majority of that's been in family practice I and mean, I've i dabbled in other things, uh moonlighting elsewhere and stuff, but the majority of it's been family, family practice. And, uh the MA that I work with, i she's been with me for six years. And I tell people my practice does not work without Jenny. That's just the way that it is. And because she filters through so much bullshit that I don't have to deal with. You know, the refill requests, the PAs, all the shit in family practice that we have to deal with, she filters through that for me. And
2: do you have any control over her salary?
1: Uh, not a lot. I, I went to – I have worked and negotiated on her behalf to try to help with that. Um, I also, because I feel strongly enough about it, I give her a bonus out of my bonus personally. I mean I, I write it out of my like a personal check because I know the busier that I am, the busier she is, and so I feel like she deserves that.
2: That's phenomenal. What I I like to do, if I can, is get the admin to do uh, what's called a hidden dollar, right? So what you do is get administration to add a dollar to their salary, just one dollar, and instead of paying it out as part of their weekly salary, have them pay it out on December 1st. So for every hour they work the year before December 1st, they get one dollar. So you, know, as you know, full time is twenty eighty hours. So if you get a dollar per hour, that pays for their Christmas.
1: Wow, the hidden dollar out. That's kind of cool.
2: It's an interesting, interesting way to to add a little bonus to the to them, and it doesn't really cost a lot. And the flip side of that is is the corporation they budget it in as a dollar part of their salary. They just pay it out at a different time. So they and you're not affecting their budget much. You know. Yeah kind of an interesting, interesting thing. And it it makes, makes your, makes your staff happy. So here's a
0: question about, let's say I wanted to try and do something for my nurse. The difference being is I work for a much larger health system than Ben in this case. What do we do in the circumstance? I mean, I already know what my answer is. I mean, I have limited options, but do you find that there's a better way to leverage something like that with a larger health system that may be more like, no we don't have to do anything
2: like how much money am I bringing into your practice?
0: And, and that's just the way we lead off with.
2: Yeah. I mean, well, I generally, what I would do is I would go to the, the there's a practice manager or a, staff office manager or whatever they call them right in in a larger practice it's generally a practice manager is the title but it can be whatever you know so i would go to them and say hey look this staff member works really hard for me and we need to make sure that we retain them and i think if we do this we should be able to retain them okay i don't no we're not giving a bonus what we're doing is giving her a hidden raise gotcha I just make yeah. sense and that that I mean people like creativity and they like you not breaking the bank when you do it in yeah, a dollar that's not really that much man I mean in the grand scheme of things you're looking at I mean if they're going to give her $2,000 ways and you're making 55 per patient it's pretty easy yeah to see where the value is right and remember that's not that's just straight Medicare. That's not your insured patients. And you guys are family practice and you're not in a uh, federally qualified health care center. You're probably sitting around, what, 75, 80% insured?
1: I'm in an RHC, so we we're probably, yeah, 60% insured.
2: That's that's still pretty good. I mean, you're looking at a large, large portion of your patients are are insured, which means you're reimbursing at a higher level. The other question is, is you ask them, can I see how much I brought in last year?
1: Uh, They don't like
0: that question. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This is actually one of those things that Ben and I have discussed. And yes, apparently they don't like those questions. So...
2: Why? Why on earth would they not want you to know how much money you're working? You're bringing in for the practice.
0: I can give I you a why. couple answers, but I would like you two to to explain it. So no, 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 no. Tell me what you think. Why would they not want you to know that? Well, so again, I'm not naive. Like so, when I was in the ER, I was an ER supervisor. I understand the business side of. The, a hospital being a hospital right right but not all of our not all of our list not all of your listeners
2: do right it, correct
0: so that's what i was gonna say is i understand the health system needs to make money and the less they can pay me and get me to bring in more equals more profit so what they don't want is to give me a bargaining chip that is greater to force their hand further down is is the way absolutely So and like I said, I don't want to break the bank. I don't want to work my own. I I chose to work for my health system and I want them to do well because when I do well, they do well. And I'm I'm very happy with that. But (laughs) at the same time, there are certain concessions I think are appropriate. And some of the things you're talking about, I think, are a great idea. I just it's one of those things of how to deploy now that I got this tool. How do I deploy or what's the best way? And that's some of the things I'm trying to figure out right now.
2: Well, you know, at, at the end of the day, we are income generators, right? And that's one thing that as a profession, we're not really savvy about. If we're not there, they don't make money. Yeah. And me walking in the door is worth a certain value, right? When I walk in the door, you have to pay me X dollars to get me to show up, right? That's what I'm worth. Yeah. Okay. And there's a couple ways. I mean, re- reimbursement is a is a whole whole other topic of how do you want to get paid? Do you I mean? Do you feel like you should? Are you not wanting to ensure you're chasing every every quote quote chasing every dollar with an RVU or a bonus structure? I'm not a fan of not having a bonus structure in a contract. Okay, unless you're not in unless you have zero control of your volume. For instance. If you're in an ER or an urgent care, it's harder to make that up if you can't see volume, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're in a family practice, you have a little bit but easier time controlling your volume. You can schedule out your days, etc., leave in, you know, leave in X amount of sick visits per day, which is another cheat you can do in family practice to increase your RVUs, by the way. Keep <laughs> if you add, it, add in those sick visits, right? And because if you add in sick visits throughout the day, sick visits are generally very quick visits, five, ten-minute visits, as opposed to 15, 20, 30, 40-minute visits, right? Yeah. Because you're handling one problem. So if I can add in four or five, six visits a day, then I've added another five to you know, five to seven to eight RVUs a day instead of seeing 20 RVUs a day. Now I'm seeing 28 or 30, do, Makes sense. yeah, no, I
1: do that. I actually uh, one of my hours in my morning is distributed to sick visits. So
2: I, I generally I generally when I did it, I left I had some in the morning and some in the in the afternoon. Yeah. And the reason I did that is I backed off the backhand of my schedule, like the last hour, last half hour for sick visits because people get sick at lunch, they got to go pick up a kid from school or whatever. And then I don't have any visits for them that day. And they end up, I end up losing that money to urgent care or the ER or whatever. But if I have that at the back half, then I can have those people come in. But the flip side of that is if nobody calls by four, say, and my sick visits are 430 to five, then I'm done at 430. So I
0: have a similar, but mine are actually with a template that we use in my office it's actually kind of like interspersed throughout the day so like every couple so many visits I'll have a spot so that I can kind of fill those in throughout the day like you were saying like oh I didn't feel bad at 8 but at 10 I did so I have that 11 o'clock spot for instance something like that okay. reasonable
2: yeah that's reasonable and it and each person will have their own way of doing that I mean, I mean just because I do it one way doesn't mean that's the holy grail or anything like that you know that's just how I preferred it and I like to backloaded it like that so i could leave early or make sure i was done with my documentation on time and that's another thing guys when you look at all these forum posts people staying till six seven documenting all night long when they get home oh man i couldn't even imagine doing that
1: i used to do that i've gotten a lot better just because of, well, one thing is i started dictating as opposed to typing that's phenomenal and secondly it's just I, i've gotten smarter with i document so that it's it's faster
2: so. Why, why do you feel like you were bad at that when you started?
1: Uh, uh, well, John... We, Have you thought about it? Lack of education. I mean... Explain. It's not something that is taught to us when we're going through clinicals of how to appropriately chart or how to effectively chart, I guess would be a better word for it.
0: I'd agree with that 100%. And honestly, like to go with what Ben says, because he could tell you, I ask him questions pretty frequently. That's one of the things I'm still working on actively right now, is trying to continually refine this process of getting the documentation. Because I want it concise, but I want it, you know, thorough and accurate. And there's this balance point that is always, it always seems elusive. Like, okay, this seems so easy yesterday, but today I can't seem to find. What's going on with this? So that brings me to another question. With documentation, how do you feel about templates?
2: Yeah, They're fine. There's, there's no reason not to use a template in my mind, but you just have to make sure that you customize the template per patient. right? Okay. For instance, I don't know what EMRs y'all use, but I've used quite a few in my time. There's EMRs that have template or hot uh, notes or dot phrases or whatever whatever your documentation system calls them, or you can dictate out a dictation phrase in dragon or modal or whatever and you can say hey strep throat right and it, it'll dictate out your physical exam for strep throat as long as you make sure that that is appropriate for the, that particular patient right yeah then i don't have any problems with it at all i mean i think those are those are phenomenal ways to save you time but just have, they have to be individualized appropriately as long as they're individualized appropriately it doesn't matter that
1: is one thing that Irritates me with the system that we work in, or even just other documentation that I've seen. Like when you get notes, you know, from from other providers and stuff, it's like, okay, so you saw them for like an acute media, and then in your physical exam,
0: it says TM's normal.
1: Yeah. Well, that physical <laughs> 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 exam and the the anal wink is present, and I'm like, really, because uh, I don't know that you would necessarily have needed to assess the anus whenever you're checking for the ears, but yeah. It's like so, and I, that's one thing I stress with my my students when I precept is: it's like you have got to make sure your documentation matches what you did. Don't just trust the template to be the template because it, it's going to look bad if you and then ever gets called into court.
2: Yeah, unless you make the template right. Like um, there's one where I had a left otitis media, right otitis media. I had a left otitis pd, a right otitis pd. I had a left otitis pd with um, pharyngitis, eryotitis PD with pharyngitis. I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, you can, you can extensively make those out. And sometimes, Tom, it's all the work you put in up front that takes a ton of time with the new documentation system that pays off down the road. Well,
0: and that's where I'm at now is I'm starting to go, okay, what do I see a lot of, what do I need to make sure, you know, the things that I'm, and so I'm working on that. I also, especially in the beginning not that I'm still not in the beginning compared to YouTube, but I mean, I came from a background where I have been to court multiple times. I have talked to lawyers and I really played head games with myself probably too much where when I was documenting, I was like, now, how are they going to try and screw me? Like, what, <laughs> what, what, what is this guy going to try and say? And, and honestly, that's good to a point i think i got to the i got to a place where i was overthinking everything you're killing yourself yeah. man I, I was documenting an hpi like ernest hemingway wrote it for you know acute of Titus <laughs> media because in my head i was thinking oh god what if what if this happens or what if this happens and i've learned like i i still need to be thorough and i still need to be exact but i don't need to write ev- a book for for these yeah yeah so it 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 is a learning process, and I been touched on it and i I wonder what your view on it is you know the education my preceptors were good, okay I had good preceptors all right, but it was also for lack of a better term a hodgepodge like. Each preceptor did things so differently that when I came out of it, I was like, okay, now what? Yeah, Now, now I'm back at the beginning of trying to figure it out on my own. I, I work with a great office. I can't say enough good things about the staff all the way around in my office, including the physicians I work with, and everyone's been very helpful. But I found that to be one of my things I bitched about the most of NP education is the realistic application to what i was going to actually be doing was very lacking and i and i didn't i think that's one of the things we as a profession need to work on
2: right that's a whole lot done back yeah let me start with the first part of that tom drop your stuff at the door okay when you walk out of the office you're done for the day drop your cases at the door and do not pick them up till you go back the next day you have to let it go when you leave the door. You've done everything you can to the best of your ability while you're there for the patient. Okay. Okay. If, and this is something I had to be taught when I first got out into emergency medicine. I'd come back and I'd sit at home and go, man, uh, was that the right thing that I did? Did I do the right thing? I think I did the right thing. I mean, it looked like the right thing and I could have done the right, you, know? yeah. it, you you're going to kill yourself and stress yourself out doing that. Don't. You did the best job you could for your patient when you had them, and as long as you're doing the best job you possibly can for the patient, you should be fine. Second part of that, NP education. What's the biggest problem with NP education? That's a really robust question. Let's go with antiquated um, education methods. Okay.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah. Okay. Do Do you know what it, what I mean by that? Yeah, we're still in an apprenticeship-type education. Okay, we have not evolved from an apprenticeship-type education to an academic education. Does that make sense? Yes. I get that. Yes. Sort of, maybe. Uh, okay, let's let's do it this way. If you are an electrician, you go through the stages of journeyman, etc., up to expert, up to master. Right. We sort of have that same style still. Instead of having in academic style, and my academic friends are going to hate me for saying this, but essentially, we're still in that method. There is no academic control over your clinical education.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense.
2: Your instructor has no clue. I mean, they don't, they don't come to the office. They don't see who you're training with. They don't know what you're doing. And... If you if you don't have academic control by having the the academics place you in a clinical situation, so they know what kind of education you're getting, versus just hoping that you're getting a good education. Does that make sense? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's my first problem. My second problem is, I mean, I, well, I got a whole lot of problems, but yeah, you know, my second problem is is I think that the way that we did it was okay for a while, but now that we're advancing in treatments and therapies and getting so specialized we need to advance our education as well and change from a apprenticeship model to a training model right which is what the docs did probably 200 years ago where they switched from essentially having an apprenticeship you apprenticed with somebody you know you apprenticed with the blacksmith you apprenticed with the yeah. shoemaker the hat maker whatever and you apprenticed with the doctor now you have a a baseline education where everybody should be getting the same level as a base, right? And then my thought on it is we need to do away with the DNP as an endpoint for nurse practitioners. We need a new moniker and we need a more clinical training at the doctorate level. And instead of having a A separation of specialization at the master's level, we need the separation of specialization at the doctoral level with exceptionally more clinical hours. For instance, if you are going into family practice, you get a, a base education that includes family practice, internal medicine, pediatrics, orthopedics, general surgery, radiology, emergency medicine, urgent care, you know, and you have probably 1,500 hours doing all of that and then having another 500 hours where you can specialize into different areas i.e. you could go to anesthesiology spend more time in radiology or let's say you worked with a cardiologist and the cardiologist really likes you and goes hey tom when you get done i want you to work with me so now you have 500 extra hours that you can spend in his office Does that make sense? Yeah. You have 500 hours where you can specialize doing whatever you want to do. And that allows you a more robust training mechanism and allows you for people that have job opportunities to spend more time in that area. I mean, because when I went through, it was a little bit different. And I ended up spending a ton of hours in the ER because I knew I was going to have a job there when I got done. Yeah. So I had a ton of extra ER hours that prob nowadays, probably they would not be okay with based off of, and I just assumed at that time that everybody was getting the same education no. I was. No, they. You know, and yeah. I didn't, <laughs> I know, I know, believe me, I know now, but at the time I had no idea. I just assumed that everybody got the same education, right? And when it comes out and you get the people from, if you guys went to the same school, there's no way your clinical education would be the same because you'd have a whole different slew of preceptors. Right, Yeah. Right. And so there's no way to get a there's no academic control over where your clinical training goes. So if you train with Dr. XYZ and I train with Dr. ABC, right, we're going to have completely different methods of doing stuff. And at the end of the day, you guys know this. There's a thousand ways to skin this cat. Right? There's a hundred different ways to approach it. Right. And I have a nursing theory. Okay, I know this is not everybody's favorite topic, but this <laughs> is how I – I know, I get it. So this is how I practice, okay? I call it the three pillars of practice. And if you imagine yourself sitting on a stool that has three legs, okay, and the first leg is the science of practice, okay? And if you're bad at the science, that leg's going to break, you're going to fall because you can't sit on a stool with two legs, right? Right. So – And that's what we learn in school, right? The second leg is the art of practice. And that's something generally as nurses we're exceptionally good at. You know, Mrs. Smith comes into the office and she's got a cold, but her husband died of pneumonia last month. And so she's afraid she's going to die of pneumonia too. But based off the science, we know she's got a viral upper respiratory infection. But we also know based on the art that if she doesn't leave a little prescription in her hand, she's never going to come back and see us again. And she's going to tell all her little old lady friends and they're not going to come see us either. Yep. so we give her a prescription for z or whatever you happen to use and tell her not to use that prescription unless she's not feeling better in two days based on the science we know that 85 percent of those people will not fill that prescription right but she's happy and she's comforted by having that thing in her hand yeah you know so and the third third leg is and if we're bad at that we're going to fail the only people who can get away with not having good art anymore are world-class surgeons you know, they can have the worst bedside in the, in the world, but they can go, yeah, but he's a great surgeon, you know, <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So, and the, and the third leg of that is the business aspect. And at the end of the day, if we're not generating enough business, we can't keep the doors open. I had a, a colleague of mine who was called me after she lost her job and, uh, she was looking for another job, so I was helping her with the negotiation on the, on the salary. And she, I said, well, what happened in the first job? She says, well, I was working uh, for a specialist and seeing eight patients a day. I was like, wait, wait, you saw how many? She said eight patients a day. And I said, well, well it's no wonder you got fired. Yeah. She said, well, I don't understand. She goes, I work as hard as I can to make sure I take as good a job of my patients as I can, and I'm not going to see more than that. I said, well, you're not going to keep a job said so you're not generating enough money to cover your, the salary that you're wanting much less the overhead cost. you have to cover overhead you have to cover what overhead includes your nurse your front office staff your portion of the of the rent your portion of the electricity your portion of the internet all the bills yeah and your salary and you got to make them a profit and you're not even covering your salary cost yeah of course they fired you Listen, man, you can't. You, you, the business side failed, and unfortunately, as nurse practitioners, we suck at the business aspect. But so my that's my kind of thought on how we should do this. So if we do that at the base level, have two thousand, and and I, I, think we need RN experience before you go in. I agree on I've that wholeheartedly.
1: Hundred percent.
2: And my thought on that is two years of RN experience. That gives you four thousand hours, right? Because twenty eighty hours full time, right? Yep. So four thousand hours of RN experience. 2,000 hours at the master level, and then 4,000 hours at the doctoral level gives you 10,000 hours of training. And then the biggest argument against FPA goes away. Correct? That's the largest argument we always have. It's not enough time training. Well, we've eliminated that.
1: I was going to be a smart ad, John, and say, but geez, John, if we go with your way, how are we ever going to crank out thousands and thousands of nurse practitioners?
2: That's that's a problem. You know how many we're, we're we're set to crank out this year? How many? 30,000. Jeez. 30,000. And that doesn't include the 10,000 PAs that are going to be pushed out. So that's 40,000 people pushed into our job market this next year.
0: I know we're getting towards the end, but I I guess since we talked about contracts, how do you feel that is going to impact our ability to negotiate salaries? Because my feeling, and I know this is one of the areas Ben and I disagree on, is I feel like it's going to down our starting point like it already has yeah and and that's how i I feel like that trend is going to continue and we as a profession seem to be allowing it to happen
2: and that's not the worst part
0: oh god okay well stop (laughs) now because i don't want to hear worse okay so (laughs) i already thought that was crap so if there's something worse (laughs) yeah
2: yeah you have nurse practitioners undercutting other nps now OK, so what happens is, you know, I'm a new grad and I go into Ben's office and I talk to his office manager and say, I'll do the job for 40,000 a year less. And they cut Ben loose and hire me. I've had six contracts this year that have done that. Wow. OK, so six people that had just six people that have contacted me. That's not any, including anywhere else in the country. So six people have contacted me for their next contract. Right, and the the reason that they're looking for a contract is because somebody came in and undercut them so bad that the the their practice manager had no choice but to, to hire the new person. So, and you go, well, they'll they'll lose lose volume. Yeah, they lose volume for a little bit, but it'll uptick again in about six months or a year. And over the course, of the trend of time, they'll save. They'll make up that money. Yeah. By the cut in salary, and it's that part scares me more than anything because then you have essentially okay so there's a hospital that I'm aware of where there's about 18 to 20 NPs working as RNs because they can't find jobs as NPs. Yeah. I mean this is a scary 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 time for our profession because of the massive oversaturation we're having to deal with. We should be pumping out right now sitting around 9,000 NPs a year and we're a little over four times that. This is what we what our volume is.
1: Well hopefully pull the reins up on some of that
2: and oh gosh i hope so so i hope so as well um i think if we if we sw- switch our model around to try and update our training methods so it's not antiquated that solves a lot of these issues okay there's i mean this is so bad guys there's um whole np groups that are refusing to to take np students anymore wow i have a pediatric group in texas that's all nps that completely refuse to take NP students anymore. Wow. They will not take a one, and this is in a major metropolitan area, and other NP groups have started to follow their lead. So they're trying to staunch the bleeding themselves. Yeah, they're, they're doing that, and, you know, uh, another part of their complaint was that people were not prepared to enter clinical practice, so it was taking them too much time to take away from their patients to try and train these people. They didn't feel like they were ready to, to come to clinicals.
1: Because they're basically being the apprentice and yeah. teaching them but,
2: Right. And, and if you think about it, when you got to clinicals, when you were you 100 percent ready to walk in a room, do an H&P, give a differential and and work the patient up? Oh, hell no. Sure.
0: no. <laughs> yeah. hell no. So,
2: yeah. I, I mean, I
0: understand their point, but I see their point on the fork on both sides where it's hurting their practice, but it's also hurting them short and long term. Oh yeah, so I, I completely understand what they, why they did it, and they're they're becoming natural speed breaks.
2: And those people are are, are productivity based too. Generally, the ones who do that, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it just ends up costing them more money to try and train someone than it's worth. Yeah, and and so
1: terrible. John, we're wrapping up this episode, I know that in the CPNC group, you mentioned that you've kind of taken on a new role. Is that correct?
2: Oh, yeah. now that's kind of a fun thing, too. So I have joined the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, Nurse Practitioner Enhancement and Education Sustainment Committee, which is a committee where we're going to be looking at uh, actual problems in the the education field and seeing if we can't come up with some potential solutions that will be long-term and long-lasting. And, of course, I've discussed kind of my my thought process on that here, but we'll see if we can't come up with a solution that the that the entire profession can be happy with.
1: Awesome. I look forward to seeing some things. Uh, I'll do trying to watch that committee a little closer. Cause that's interesting to, to hear Tom. Any final questions for John, before we get into our last segment of five questions?
0: Um, nope. Let's go to five questions. Join us on a
1: journey into the inner psyche of our guest As we ask five, 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 five questions. All right. Well, John, you've listened to the show before, so you know that we ask five questions to um, all of our guests—the exact same five questions. I ask the questions. Tom makes fun of your answers. So, John, question one: What is your favorite medical word?
2: Disposition. <laughs> I'm an ER guy, so disposition is <laughs> always the best thing I can come up with. Yeah. You know.
1: There you go. Uh, they're either going one. Or...
2: And it doesn't matter what that disposition is.
0: It's just that we've come to it.
1: Yeah, disposition. i with
0: like It's that. hard. To, it's hard to make fun of an answer
2: that I completely agree with. So, I, there you go.
1: Go.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's it's like I tell my students in the ER. There's only f- that your job is not a final diagnosis. Your job is efficient and appropriate disposition, and there's only four four solutions. That's all you got. So, when you're in the ER, you got to get to one of those as fast as you can.
1: Shit, I like that. I mean. <laughs> I got nothing else.
0: Ben is taking notes with me. Like, oh, I'm, I need <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just what now. it is,
2: right? So they can go home, they can be transferred, they can be admitted, or they can be celestially discharged, right? Exactly.
1: All right, John. Question two If you could do any job in the world other than what you currently do, what would it be?
2: Oh, you know what? I always wanted to be the, the voice in the hospital on the announcer <laughs> on the PA. I always wanted to do that. I mean, I could be like a voice actor or something. I'm not very good at it, but I could do it. You know, it's kind of be kind of fun.
1: I like how it's not, you know, I want to be like the VA announcer for like, you know, the Dallas Cowboys or anything. Yeah. No, I want to be the VA announcer for the hospital. Like,
0: yeah. It's, it's funny. Be like I have the voice of the Yankees. Nope. Didn't say that. <laughs> He said he wanted to announce that meatloaf was now available on Thursdays.
2: <laughs> Jesus God's like, like this. So I was working at one hospital and the, the lady would come on and she would say, Visiting hours are now over. Please leave. <laughs> like that's <they're- laughs> like I was like, Damn, that's kind of rude, isn't it? <laughs> Hey, you know, I was standing there with the with the hospital CEO. I was like, "Damn, that's kind of rude, isn't it?" The next night, she was much nicer. <laughs> please leave. Well, <laughs> you know, it's got to the point.
0: <laughs>
1: she's, she she was she's like,
2: "Visiting <laughs> hours are over. Please leave."
1: I at least you said please. I mean, yeah, is that?
2: You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, was, oh always cracked me up.
1: All right, John. Question three. Think back to your first car. Was it a stylish ride or a rolling turd?
2: Oh, I'd have to be a turd. I had a Volkswagen Rabbit was my first car. Ooh. Not even a Volkswagen Bug, a Volkswagen Rabbit. Now I was in good condition, by all means, and it was bright cherry red, but it, did, it was a Volkswagen Rabbit. You know, it's just... <laughs> That's two Volkswagens in a row now, by the way. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a nice car. It was a great car. It lasted me a long time. I, I blew up a uh, brick mailbox with it, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> wow! Is that how it met its end, or it just decided? No, no, to be no. That. that was just a that was a temporary temporary uh, uh, stall. You know, we we had to uh, had to had to put a little elbow grease into fixing it, but we ended up working after that for a while. And it was, it was a good little car, but yeah, it was not it was not a stylish ride at all.
1: All right. Question four. If your house is on fire, everyone, including your pets, are safe. What's the one thing you want to get out of your house?
2: On uh, my laptop. Okay. For sure, if my laptop. I got, I'm got. i doing some research on my laptop and all my notes and everything is on there. And uh, i gotta got to save the laptop.
1: And all those charts that you haven't done yet, you got to...
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I can tell you 100% that from the day I started until now i could probably count on one hand in the last 15 years that i stayed late and or did not have a, a chart closed that's it wow i don't walk out the door without all my stuff done don't go Mm-mm. if there's such a problem that i'm having to stay t- stay late to do that i'm seeing too many patients and we need to back off or there's a problem with the charting system or something but no i don't i don't stay late i don't leave charts open i don't you will never find me at home working on a note ever I only work I, when I get paid, man. I like this <laughs> I don't work entirely. for free. <laughs> I, don't, I don't work for free, brother. You know, I mean, you know that's not entirely true. I, I do Boy Scout Physicals once a year. That's kind of my give back thing. But outside of that, you know, when it when it comes to actual work, work, no. Brother, I don't work for free. Fair enough.
1: All right. Question five. You have $9.18 in your pocket. What all do you buy at a convenience store?
2: Uh... Dr. Pepper. I don't drink coffee, so okay. Um, that's my coffee. Coffee smells great, but it tastes like burnt monkey ass, so I'm, not, I'm against it. <laughs> wow. I was going to say, you know Dr. Pepper's communist, but you're I in Texas. I was <laughs> Dude, Dr. Pepper is, is from Dublin, Texas. You know that, right? Hey,
0: I know you were going to say Texas, but what does it say on the can?
2: Oh, I have no idea. It says Dr. Pepper. No, it, it says, says, you know what it says? Royal deliciousness. That's what it says. It says
0: 23 flavors working together. That's communism, my friend.
2: <laughs> hey, you know what? You can still get, if you go to Dublin, Texas, you can still get the old Dr. Peppers that are sh- still made with cane sugar. Wow. So you know, anytime you drive through Dublin, Texas, you stop and get Dublin Dr. Peppers. That's just kind of a Texas thing.
0: I guess I would, you know, I always tell Ben because he is a huge Cowboys fan that some year we need to go down to Dallas. I will go with him to a Cowboys (laughs) game, and I don't know where that is in relation to Dallas, Texas, but maybe we can make a uh, side
2: trip. But oh, I think it's like a three or four hour drive, man. Texas is huge. Like uh, I'm, I'm where I'm in Texas. It's a four and a half hour drive to. Dallas and it's about a nine hour drive from me to the to the beach and it's about a nine hour drive from me to outside of the to Louisiana about a five hour drive outside of El Paso about a seven or eight hour drive outside the north of the panhandle so you know it's that's it a takes drive. a while to get anywhere here that,
0: that's a drive but let's go back to you have nine dollars and 18 cents you, oh, you a <laughs> side trip. yeah no, no
2: pepper That's right. pepper I'm a Skidaholic, so I, uh, I have to get a pack of Skittles.
1: Now, is um, it or do you do like the tropical flavors and all the other stuff?
2: No, no, just the regular ones. I'm, okay. I'm old school. He's a purist. Yeah, except they are They are kind of getting me off of Skittles because my favorite flavor was the lime, and they changed it to green apple. What? So I guess I yeah kinda... pay a lot of attention to Skittles. So <laughs> Dude, I, I I ate Skittles so I ate so many Skittles when I was a kid uh, that that they thought I was in DKA. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That's that's a little kid. I ate two of those one-pound bags of Skittles. Wow. My (laughs) God, you really like Skittles. I probably was, but, you know, yeah, I love Skittles. And Dad didn't turn me off of them. (laughs) That's the best part. Man. Did
1: you get the color? I mean, yeah.
2: I I have no idea, man. I was little at that time. I have no clue. I just, I just remember the stories that I'm told. You know, that's not one that I remember in particular, but you know, that's one of the ones I was told about. But yeah, so Skittles. I love Skittles. I'm a. I. In fact, it's it's so well known that the nurses at work, if I'm busy, they'll bring me Skittles.
0: (laughs) That's a good thing. I like that. (laughs) And I don't know. I guess that's
2: what four bucks. So. Plus, oh, some beef jerky or something, probably. There be okay. we go. Thank you. you know? Now,
0: I can, like, he's from Texas. How was beef jerky not part of this process? process?
2: Yeah. Well, I'm a skitaholic, though. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's not that I don't love my jerky and it's not that we don't, I've never made my own jerky. It's just that if there's Skittles and I've got money.
0: Yeah.
1: I
2: know where it's going. You, you know, know what? like on my on my desk right here, there's a there's a pound bag of Skittles.
0: You know what? I can sitting next that. to my computer. I, I mean, I, I I find it interesting that you know that much about green Skittles, but I do. do. Hey right, man, you gotta have priorities. Yeah, I, That's nice. I I highly respect the fact that you are like nope. I have money, and there are skittles. I need those skittles here to be in my mouth, and I'm like, you know what? The man's got a mission. Let him.
2: Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. my my wife makes me uh, not buy them, so I don't get to buy them anymore. She buys them and I get rationed, but oh, that's okay. That's a smart girl. girl. Well, you know, I mean, nah she she you know, when I when I do good stuff so I get that's my reward and stuff. Like my stocking will be full of Skittles and stuff, and if I just have bags of them laying around it's not a big deal, you know. Yeah. So I would say whatever. I mean it's a big deal to me, but whatever, you know, I get it.
0: <laughs> has she trained a lot of uh puppies? Because I'm starting to know the pattern. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm starting to see some similarities. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, all, all right. Well, you know what? We're that, that concludes five questions. We're we're done with that. So, <laughs> um, if you like this show and if you're listening to it, we know that you do. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Just Some Podcast. Website: Emails, adventing to somepodcast.com. John, you want to tell them where they can find you on social media? Oh,
2: just uh, uh, JC the NP on YouTube, JC the NP at Yahoo, anything like that. You guys are welcome to get a hold of me anytime, any questions. I'm happy to answer them as best I can. Well, awesome.
0: we really appreciated you being on the show tonight, sir.
2: I appreciate y'all inviting me. This has been fun. Yeah, it has been
1: fun, and we look forward we'll have to having you back. I mean, we Oh we yeah. topics, but there's, there's – I feel a plethora of more of, of shit that we can unpack with you.
2: So <laughs> okay. yeah, I mean, anything you guys want to go over, I'm happy to happy to have the conversation.
1: Well, um,
0: if nothing else, I think the next time we do a, like a movie episode, we'll have to bring him on to discuss the various types of movie candy other than Skittles that he may enjoy. Like I think ooh, that's Mike a, and Ike's. That, ooh, oh, see, I like Mike and Ike's. Yeah, especially in yeah. the movie theater. Like
2: Mike mm-hmm. and Now nah, outside the movie theater, eh? I mean, you know. They're skittles, but inside the movie theater, they're Mike skittles. But see, <laughs> yeah, Mike and Ike's.
0: There's so many things we can discuss now. So and buttery popcorn.
2: Oh, oh, oh you gotta
0: have the butter. It. Yeah, yeah, excellent. exactly. Anyway, now it's good popcorn. times. Yeah.
1: On those notes, guys, Mike, Ike's, get you some skittles. Have a great week.
0: Hey everybody, stay safe out there. Skittles, Mike and Ike's. Yeah, you know the time. Mike, I see why I am alone.
2: I caught some road bridge and I thought of you. And all the many times you say I should have known. Took a press so I could find my truth.